Well, have you ever been uh, discouraged or disappointed, frustrated, or maybe had some doubts? Or have you ever wondered why you were put on earth or what your purpose is? What do we do with life when it feels like we're a bit lost? Uh, John the Baptist's story, I believe, has some answers for us. So in the first century BC, Zechariah the priest was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And during this time, the angel of the Lord told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son and he would name him John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he will and will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John's life was stated clearly. He had purpose from day one and a mission to accomplish. In 1987, my mother told my father that she was pregnant. Since this was not planned, my father quit his dreams and got a job at the mill. On February 14, 1988, Benjamin Jepson was born in Grand Forks, yeah, okay. uh, weighing in at 12 pounds. Yeah, I know, impressive. The doctor held him up and said, Behold, this boy shall go forth and be a football player. John is set apart with a very special prophecy and a mission on earth. Ben was not. When I was born, the doctor said, well, this is a big baby. He should probably play football. When John was born, he was told that he would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so it appears I walked away from my calling. Uh, but John followed his. And yet I find some similarities with John that gives me some assurance for my own faith and my own relationship with Jesus. For years he was preparing, on the lookout, figuring out what this would all look like, leading some disciples, maybe stressing out a little bit, maybe losing some sleep, perhaps having some doubts. Then his cousin arrives and he baptizes him and he knows that his work has been fulfilled. He can rest easy. But as he tracks Jesus, it's not coming together the way that he thought. And now John is in prison, perhaps not sleeping very well again. Jesus isn't moving in the direction John thought he would. John finds himself in prison, perhaps scared, nervous, discouraged. And according to the passage we're going to read, he has some doubts. News of Jesus resurrecting a boy reaches him. And that's where we find ourselves in the story today. And that's the passage that Pastor Doug preached on two weeks ago. And so, Barb, could you come up and, uh, and read uh, the scripture for us today? We are in Luke chapter 7. Yes, a microphone would be good. <laughs> Does that work? Let's stand as we read the gospel, please. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? 
At this very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Barb. So John has already baptized Jesus at this point in the story, and yet he's having some doubts. Why is John confused about who Jesus really is? Have you ever found yourself uh, in the depths of life wondering if this is how it's supposed to be? Maybe a bit confused and maybe a bit unsure of Jesus? And John sends his disciples and they inquire. John the baptizer sent us to ask you, are you the one we've been expecting or are we still waiting? And how does Jesus respond to this doubt from John? He says, watch this. And for the next hour, he heals, he takes care of some evil spirits, he wipes out some plagues while he's at it. Then he says, go and tell John what you have witnessed. Jesus doesn't say, John the baptizer, more like John the doubter, or he doesn't get all mad at his disciples and send them off. No, Jesus shows his amazing power. People are searching for truth today, for purpose, and ultimately they're searching for Jesus. 
Are we showing that? Can the power of the risen Savior be seen in Grand Forks today? So Jesus says, go tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. So I'm not sure what you're walking through today, uh, what, what pain you might be experiencing, whether that's physical or emotional or anything else. But my friends, I want you to hear these words, if nothing else this morning from this sermon, I want you to hear these words from Jesus to you today. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. These are such powerful words for us today. So now what's, what's Jesus doing? He's quoting Isaiah. You can find it in chapter uh, Isaiah 29, verse 18, 35, verse 5, and 42, verse 18. He's quoting from Isaiah. So the disciples, they go back and they tell John, and John says, quick, grab my old King James Version. And so they get them, you know, his Bible. They didn't have one then, but... And they look up Isaiah, and he reads these words, and perhaps with tears welling up in his eyes, he has been comforted. He's been reassured. He can face whatever is next for him. And we know the story. One day, while John is in prison, the door opens, and a man who is well acquainted with the weapon in his hands stares into John's eyes. And John hears that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. He has prepared the way for the right guy. He has done his job. He can face his end. And the man grabs John and swiftly beheads him. What was John's last thought before that blade hit the back of his neck? What was the last thought you had about God? And it's okay if it was doubt or frustration or anger, but I don't want us to end there. I don't want us to live there. I think John very well could have been disappointed as the guard came into the jail cell. But as he laid on the ground and waited, I can't help but wonder and assume that his last thoughts were praising God. In the darkness and hopeless times in life, I want you to find your way to the Messiah who says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. God is glorified when we acknowledge that he is enough, even when we have nothing. Even when we are face down on our stomach with a blade at our neck, and we say, all glory to God. If I have Jesus, I have everything. And John knew that that's what he had. And look, I, I want to shoot straight with you. My kids are in great health. My wife is in good health. I have a 2010 Dodge Caravan. I have a roof over my head. I have a furnace that is still under warranty for this upcoming winter. I have a deck that I can enjoy, and I have my parents' used hot tub on that deck. My, my wife makes us delicious meals every day, and some nights we get to sit on the couch and we watch TV on a big, uh, we watch shows on a big TV from one of our streaming services that we pay for. 
until you walk through some of this really, really difficult stuff, and many of you have, but until you walk through that really, really painful experience and come out saying God is still enough, it still doesn't quite hold that same amount of weight and authority. It's easy for me to stand up here and tell you, look, you just have to hold on to Jesus when your spouse dies or when you go through some kind of tragedy in your life or you're going through your own health scares or whatever it might be. It's easy for me to say that because I haven't walked through much of that myself. But it's different when you've actually gone through it. It's easy to say it, and I assume that I'll hold fast to Christ through those times. But it's another thing when you actually go through it. You may have to talk to some people in this room to hear some of those stories. And I think you should. It's not about just being fluffy during tragedy. Like I said, I'm sure John felt scared. I'm sure he was upset when that prison door swung open. But it's about knowing where you have placed your hope. And John had, had found that out. And you know, just recently, who's done this really well, I think, is Tim Stone. And, uh, and Tim's been going through a very difficult health battle right now, a member of our church here. And yet every Sunday, he sits here and he praises God. And I know right now, they've been in Kelowna, and he's been going through some, some more difficulties lately. Uh, but he sits here and praises God. I don't think I've heard him complain once about the situation that he finds himself in. And of course, it would be okay for him to. It would be okay for him to be upset. But where do we end in that hurt and in that frustration? Do we end in bitterness? Or do we end in that, that praising of the Lord because we know he is enough? So maybe today you might just need that reminder that God is still there for you. Even when you're fighting with family or you're frustrated about things going on in the world or you're going through a health crisis or maybe you're, yeah, you're fighting with a spouse or whatever it might be, maybe that is all you need today is to hear that God is still there for you in that. And so here's what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote from his own prison cell leading up to his own death. He wrote, I believe that God can and will bring good out of evil, even out of the greatest evil. For that purpose, he needs men who make the best use of everything. We must allow for the fact that most people learn wisdom only by personal experience. No one's life flows on such an even course that it does not sometimes come up against a dam and whirl round and round, or that people never throw stones into the clear water. Something happens to everyone, and he must take care that the water stays clear and that heaven and earth are reflected in it. When you've said that, you've really said everything. The questions still remain. How do we do this? How do we get through the doubt, and how do we get through the suffering and the pain in, the, in these difficult seasons? And I believe the answer is found in this question that the disciples ask, John's disciples ask, that John's really asking. The question, are you the one, or should we keep looking? I think it's a really cool question. John doesn't give up entirely. He just needs to know if he should keep searching, if he should just continue on the mission as, as he's been called to. Are you the one? This is a pivotal question that every human encounters on some level. Is Jesus really who he says he is? 
Can I trust him? Does he bring me hope and healing? I feel like I'm in prison right now. Did I get this right? Or in many other ways, we ask this question uh, in life. You know, you're trying to lose weight. You look at the keto diet and you ask, are you the one? Is this going to set me free? Or you go to college and you choose a degree and you think, okay, are you the one? Is this the degree? You know, is this going to set me up for everything I need? This is how I asked Shana out. I said, are you the one? And she said, no. Leave me alone, please, you weirdo. She said, go look somewhere else. And I did, but then I came back. I circled back again, and here we are. So it worked out. You know, we all need... Sorry, quick tip. Don't ask a girl. Um, I'm looking over here maybe to this crowd a little bit, but don't ask a girl, are you the one? That's not good. Okay, anyway. I'll give dating advice later. For all my experience. Okay, get back on track. We all need purpose. We all need to live for something. We have to. And the amazing thing is that in all of these things, whether it's, you know, the food we eat or the college that we go to or the job that we have, all these things, Jesus covers it all. We don't need Jesus and then something else or Jesus and more. He's involved in every aspect of our lives. And so when I look at John... In, in, the, in the scope of the scriptures and the characters in the scriptures, he's a pretty extraordinary character. And in this very passage, Jesus says, up until this point in history, no man was greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big claim. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing to say, especially coming from Jesus, because you know, it's, well, it's got to be true. You know, it wasn't John's mom going, of all men born, no one's better than John. You know, it's, it was Jesus who said this, right? And then if you look at Malachi 3, uh, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then in chapter 4 of Malachi, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so John is kind of this last, of the old era. He's, he's kind of finishing out, in a way, the prophets of the Old Testament uh, that was coming in. And yet, in this very same story, in this very passage, we see John doubt. Therefore, it's likely that we're going to have some of those struggles too. John has doubts. Are you the one? And how does Jesus respond? He responds with gentleness understanding. He shows his power and his comfort and his strength. So is it okay to have some doubt sometimes? And I want to read from Psalm uh, 88 in verse 13. It says this, I'm standing...
friend I had last week died. So I'm going to start a new, uh, a new business that puts really bizarre Bible passages on, on coffee mugs and T-shirts. And, uh, and this is going to be one of them. We're going to have a coffee mug you can get for your morning, morning devotional that's going to say, the only friend I have left is death. And it's just this really, you know, what a, what a depressing passage of Scripture this is. Uh, it's bizarre. And yet, the psalmist, and that's, by the way, that's where it ends. It's not, you know, it's not the next verse is like, ah, but Lord, your, your mercies are new every morning, and it's great, and that's it. It's like, whoa. And there's a few of those psalms where that's just where it ends. And, and I can't help but wonder, you know, is John similar in, in this sense? Now, of course, he, he pursued his doubts. And, and I've felt like this before, too. I've, I've had these feelings. And, and one of the ways out of despair is asking those questions. And, you know, I, I really believe that doubters should be welcome to Gospel Chapel, should be welcome to the ministries we have here. Bring your doubts. Ask those questions. It's healthy. I started uh, coaching uh, fitness classes down at, at Humble Fit a couple times a week. And I've reached out to a few people to come and join. I said, you should come out and, and, and check it out. Uh, and I've had the same response a number of times where they say, I'd love to. I'd love to come and join. I know I should, but I can't do a pull-up yet. I can't quite do a pull-up, so once I figure that out, then I'll be there. You know, I've got to get a little bit more fit before I start coming uh, to these classes. And I'm like, well, you know, most people can't do a pull-up. Uh, it's okay, come join us. That's where you're supposed to come and work on it. That's what we're doing here. And I really believe in some ways it's similar to church. My life is too messy. I have too many doubts. I need to get things right first. I can't come to church. Or I've done too many bad things in my life. Uh, and I'm like, no, this, this is a place where you should be. This is where you should come. Because guess what? We're all walking through this mess together ourselves. We're all messy here. We're working on it. Jesus is working in our hearts. Bring those doubts with you. Now, Jesus is patient and gentle with doubt, but he is also willing to push back a little bit and challenge. And when we ask, is Jesus the one, we don't get to dictate who Jesus is. You know, we don't have to get to make up the Jesus we want. We don't get to mandate how our Savior will behave and, and what he will do for us. And, and John started to wonder if the one would be someone who brought in the justice for Israel in perhaps a more dominating fashion, in a different way than he had thought. But Jesus is who he is. We don't get to change him to fit our needs or our views, thank goodness. And Jesus reminded John of who he is. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And then look at this next one. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know, Jesus has this habit, if you read through the Gospels, he has this habit of working with the poor, with the blind, and with the weak. His all-star team of disciples were not that impressive, actually. He didn't choose a team of these, like, spiritual and physical juggernauts ready to take down everyone in their path. So what does that mean for us today? 
that maybe it's okay that I'm weak. Maybe it's okay that I'm a bit of a mess or that I don't have it all together or that I might have a few doubts and troubles because apparently Jesus can work with that. Apparently that's who Jesus was working with a lot in the Gospels. And I go, oh, thank goodness. And that is what the Gospel is. This is the Gospel. It's admitting that we have nothing, that we can get nowhere on our own, and we need a Savior. We need the One. We know that we have done bad things. We know that even the good things we have done are typically done for bad reasons, uh, like trying to add up some good works to get into heaven or, or trying to do things out of our self-centered kind of desires. Or, or I'll give you the one that came up to me uh, when I was writing this. Uh, a really good example of this is George Costanza from Seinfeld. So for the Seinfeld fans out there, he is the representation of who we really are deep down. He just acts it out all the time. So, you know, he only gives a tip in a tip jar if the people can all see him doing that, you know? I don't know if you've ever done that before where you're like, okay, I'm going to give this tip. And it's like, I really got to make sure they hear it hit the bottom of that jar. Or they turned around and it's like, ah, I put the money in there. They didn't even see me tip them. Or he, he, he buys us uh, a lunch for his friend, but his girlfriend passes him the lunch. Uh, passes to the friend this lunch that George bought and the thanks all go to the girlfriend and he's like well I paid for it you know why am I not getting the thanks you know he gets all or he double dips the chip right that's the big episode and you know you know he does these things that we would either like to do or we have done or we wish we could do more often and uh, and just kind of be noticed and, and I just can't help but to think I have a bit of an inner George Costanza sometimes. You know, we do good things sometimes. We do good things to be noticed or, or to maybe conjure up God's blessing. But as Christians, we come to Jesus knowing these things and admitting that we are poor, that we are weak, and that we're messy. Blessed is the one who is not so offended by Jesus that they turn away. Jesus is offensive he doesn't sit well with a lot of us. The very fact that we have to admit how weak and desperate we are is offensive to people. What do you mean? I'm strong. I got most of my life figured out. I'm, I'm rich. I'm not poor. Jesus is offensive to people because he requires us to admit that we have doubts, that we are a mess, that we can't figure this out on our own, uh, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like it. Look at the pandemic. Look at social media. It's everywhere. Look at the instructional, instructional manual that you threw away. Oh, I'll just do it myself. I don't need to be told what to do. And John had some doubts when he was at his lowest, and he checked in with those doubts. He didn't run away. He didn't sit in his prison cell and go, you know what, forget you, God, you know. You told me this great vision. You, you had this angel come to my dad and tell me about what I would do, and here I am. He goes, okay, this doesn't seem right, but i got to check in with it. I'm going to send my disciples to check in with it. He didn't run away. And we must get to a place of admitting that we don't have it all together, that we have some doubts and we're struggling. Tim Keller puts it this way. 
The gospel encounters us when we are not satisfied with who we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are not offended by the fact that they are such a mess that the only way out is through Jesus. We don't like to admit that we are weak. Jesus calls us to be all in. He's not interested in a trial. Come join me. Be with me. Love me. But there's a cost, and that cost might offend you. Admit that deep down you are more like George Costanza than you want to be. You may not have been born with a direct message from an angel, but you do have the opportunity now to hear what Jesus has to say about you right here in the New Testament. We have this amazing, amazing opportunity to see the scriptures and say, okay, an angel didn't come to my parents to say, this is, you know, this is what you're going to do. But we've got this whole Bible here that says, here it is. Here's the gospel. Here's Jesus. Here's what you can do. Here's where you need to go. In your trials, your doubts, your deepest struggles, ask, who is the one that has authority over my life? Is it me? Is it someone else? Is it my money? Is it my job? Or is it Jesus? And if it's Jesus, ask him to show you his power. Ask him to remind you that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage uh, that reminds us that, that even John had some struggles, and it's okay for us to have those struggles too. And I thank you for the way that you responded to those things with these words from Isaiah and the way that you show your strength and your power for us, Lord. I'm so grateful that you don't give up on us, that you don't leave us, that even in just the mess and the things that we do and the things that we wish we could take back or the things that we've said to one another, whatever it might be, that you don't give up on that, that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness. I thank you for the gospel. And Father, as we go from here today, I pray that uh, as each one of us, I'm sure, on some level, is walking through some kind of pain or frustration or bitterness or whatever it might be, stress, Lord, I just really pray for my brothers and sisters here today, for myself as well, uh, that we would look to you in that, uh, that we wouldn't spiral down into some kind of bitterness or walk away, uh, but that we would continue to press in to one another uh, for support, for encouragement, uh, and that we would continue to uh, look to you. So, Father, I do pray, especially today, just for those who are really going through some deep, dark times, that you would be there for them, that they would be um, pressing into you, that we would be there for them as well. Pray for Tim, uh, Lord, as he struggles right now with some of his health stuff too. And I know there's many others here, Father, and, and those who just aren't with us uh, right now uh, today in, in the sanctuary that are just struggling. Uh, Lord, uh, recovering maybe, but Lord, I just pray that you continue to pursue us and be there with us in all of that. So, Father, be with us as we go into this week. In Christ's name, amen. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here today. And may God go with you as you go into this week.